Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Tolkien. We're here, and it's a new week. And as you can tell, John is currently not joining us because he is stuck in the middle of a blizzard right, in New York. He is battling the... the, the what was it called? The carriage rest? Yeah, I, I know. I told him earlier. I said, <laughs> I said uh, safe travels, and I hope that you make it over the Redhorn Pass. And <laughs> well, even so, we're not going to have it's. We're not going to have John here with us. We're still going to keep our same format. We're still going to start with today in Middle Earth because today is January twenty eighth. Twenty eighth, yes. And then we'll be moving on to what happened last week on the two towers, and then we'll move on into this chapter, which was chapter four of the two towers, which is part of which is a continuing journey of the Lord of the Rings, which is part of I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Anyway, I'm Chase. I'm Katie. And today we're going to start off with today in Middle Earth. Not today. I mean, I've said today too many times. <laughs> How many times can we say today? Let's start a track. No. That's like that's like we were watching uh, Rocky Three last night, and mm-hmm. Carl Weathers says, "I have the tiger," fifty-five times. See, we counted it. It's one of those things. Well, at any rate, today is January twenty-eighth, and on this day in Middle Earth, the company were currently resting in Lothlorien. It's the exact opposite of what you thought you were going to say, but then I remembered they were in Moria at the beginning of January, yeah. not at the end of January. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so they're resting and recuperating in Lothlorien and all, of course, mourning the loss of Gandalf. Oh, that's right, because that was like on the fifth. That was like the 15th or something like that. Yeah, Yeah. 15th was the date of the Bridge of Khazad Doom. Oh, so what happened last week? Man, what did happen last week? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. We followed followed Merry and Pippin. Mm-hmm. While they're being carried off by the orcs, and we got to see an interesting breakdown of orc factions, and then the riders of Rohan showed up and just smoked those fools, <laughs> killed all those orcs, and the hobbits ran away into the Fangorn Forest, which they were warned heavily not to go into, but, you know... When when faced with uh, either death perishing amongst orcs, yeah, <laughs> death or death, let's choose the the nicer death. <laughs> which, Spoilers, not that bad as it to, seemed. To me, would be running into a forest. <laughs> I mean, even even if said forest was told to me to to, to be perilous. <laughs> well, that would so that that brings us to today, right? Today so we're talking about chapter four, Treebeard, tree right. So uh, we're going to meet another very interesting character today. Um, so we we begin uh, picking up with Merry and Pippin, and they have taken off into Fangorn Forest. And they kind of start to feel a bit weird and notice that, you know, this. I mean, as one would imagine, they, they feel a little bit weird because the forest is, feels a little bit weird, kind of. Um, they stopped to drink from the stream, which we should note is the Entwash River, right? Yep. And it's, like, striking. Like, I remember the very, like, Tolkien's words around it were very mm-hmm. striking about, like, how the feeling of drinking from that water was. Especially since they've been on the back of orcs for such a very long time. Right. Like, the water was very cool and clear and, and kind of refreshing, which is exactly what they needed. <clears throat> and... They, of course, remark on how ancient the forest feels. And I really like uh, some of the description we get of, like, the lichen dangling off the trees and stuff. Um, You can really picture it. It's very personable. Like, uh, like it reminds me of there's a cemetery Mm -hmm. close to here that is very old, very overgrown. And there's parts of it that we used to we used to go walking out into, and we would find like parts of the cemetery that had been forgotten about mm-hmm. because the trees had all like taken over all the. Um, over things, yeah. yeah, we found we found it. We found a gravestone that we couldn't see a name on it, but it was like it had like it's like seventeen. The death was like seventeen fifty something. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, far yeah. back there, right? And this is even older than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So they eventually come to this rock wall. They continue on after they've kind of refreshed themselves a bit. And they climb up these, what seem to be sort of natural stairs. 
which also is just a really cool thing like i i mean i love there's a state park near here that we go to often to go hiking and of course these are not natural stairs they're Mm man-made but it's still really cool i like it a lot um so imagining something like that that that's natural and not man-made uh is kind of just keep talking about how awesome arkansas is i know right yeah uh arkansas is actually pretty cool guys uh that well certain parts of it um so, also, it's kind of interesting to note that they don't really notice this, but their kind of cuts and scrapes and bruises that they had acquired whilst captive uh, of these horrible orcs are kind of feeling a little bit better. Um, and they also sort of feel rejuvenated. And they don't necessarily notice it, really, but we're, we're kind of told about it. So, that's interesting. I was about to say something back, I really forgot. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like your brain broke. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, they're have come up to the top of this natural stair that they've climbed, and uh, they note that kind of the sunlight that they had seen earlier seems to have gone away. And Pippin kind of remarks that this is a shame, and that you know he almost felt like he liked this place. <laughs> Uh, with with the sunlight streaming in, of course. And when it goes back to kind of grayish, you know, that feeling tends to go away. And of course, so right after he makes this remark, what would happen? But we hear a very odd voice that comes from behind them. Uh, and the voice's response is kind of like a little bit witty to this. And he says, almost felt you liked the forest. That's good. That's uncommonly kind of you. <laughs> It's like the forest itself suddenly decided it was going to pipe in and say right? its thoughts. Right? Which, uh, I don't know about you, but any any time that, like, I well, I mean, maybe not every time, but I, I kind of relate to this where you feel like you maybe say, like, remark on something and then almost feel like whatever you're talking about is going to to, to know about it. Yep. Right? Yep. So, so that was this exact thing here. The forest seems to talk back. And then, of course, you know, now turn around and let me get a look at you. And they feel these strange hands kind of turning them around. But, <laughs> Everything about this is weird. Right? This is a weird, this, this is a, a weird thing, really. It is. Uh, and so now they see the source of this voice. And it's this big, very large being, but not as big as you would think. Yeah, that was the thing I noted that when I was when I was reading it is that Treebeard is an int, mm-hmm. and they're tall, but not. I feel like it's like the perception is that yes, very tall to a hobbit, but mm-hmm. maybe not as much to an elf or something like that. They're not like stupid tall. Yeah. Stupid tall. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Treebeard's about fourteen feet tall, I think we're told. Um. And yeah, the he it's a very sort of remarkable appearance too. We've told that he's sort of man-like or maybe even troll-like in his face. And that, you know, he's very sturdy and has like a tall head and looks to be wearing sort of like green and gray. Is it clothes or is it just grown skin or bark? We can't really tell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's different, a very different thing than we've ever seen before. But especially the most striking part of this individual are the eyes. And uh, I really liked that segment where it talked about, you know, Pippin would later try to describe the eyes, right? And how kind of unique and intriguing they are. They're brown with sort of a green light, but then really what he's trying to describe is kind of the look in them. It's almost like this, I feel like Treebeard is this kind of figure that is meant to be, when you're going through the forest, you would not notice him Mm -hmm. because he's very slow and still, but there's something very lifelike about the eyes Mm -hmm. that can't be associated with, like almost like the eyes are very different because they signify a liveliness that is not kind of like, that he doesn't like hold in the rest of his body yeah well and the eyes too are sort of described as having 
like you can see like there's a lot of time behind them right mm-hmm. uh which is very appropriate yeah, cause cause super, old. super old yeah and i but i really liked it though that you know you can see the sort of time in them but also the fact that he's in the present as well so yeah. it's just a really kind of weird idea to kind of to try to process and I also really liked his voice being described as very deep, like a woodwind instrument, too. Uh, it's, An oboe. Yeah, yeah. It's appropriate, I think, for a, a, a really strange old tree creature. Well, and also, like, I noticed that when he talks, he talks in, like, big... Um... It's not that he's, like, super chatty. Like, it's mm-hmm. not fast. It's just that it's, like, these big blocks of text Mm-hmm. that are that are him talking because i feel like well i noticed that it was just they kind of wrapping around ideas yeah you just kind of keep going which of course fits in very well with his motto which is don't be hasty right and and never do anything quickly uh and least of all i think talk right um so you know they're kind of exchanging pleasantries you know and uh Neither of them really know what the other is, and Treebeard basically tells them what he he says, I'm an Ent, or what you would call an Ent, um, and my name is, you know, they ask him, what's your, what, what, what are you, who are you, what are you called, and he says, my name is Fangorn, I guess Treebeard, yeah, we'll go with Treebeard. We'll go with Treebeard. <laughs> we'll go with whatever the elves called me, because my name is too long, and oh, it was not even like, wasn't it like always changing, but always has bits adding on to it or something like that? Yeah, which was another really cool detail that I liked is that he said basically names are stories, right? That are just kind of everything that happens, and they can and they go on. And in, in in my language, he says that. And that's kind of awesome. Yeah, actually, <laughs> to have your name just be like this ever growing thing, right? And that that names tell the story of what has happened, right? That's uh, that's really cool, um, but also you know Treebeard doesn't know what they are as we've seen many times before. Lots of people don't know about hobbits because they've kind of remained out of everything, right? Uh, news of them doesn't tend to come over the mountains, and so Treebeard uh, notes that he has no knowledge of them based on sort of the old lists, what he says, uh, and lists off. Um, Kind of what you know, Ents would have this great history of all the peoples of Middle Earth, right? And he says, "Well, you're not any of the Big Four, which no. are." <laughs> wait, wait, wait! That's like a quiz for me right now. So it's elves, mm-hmm. men, dwarves, mm-hmm. and four of them. Well, uh, himself. Oh, right? himself! Oh, Just God! Oh, Ents. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, and then he continues to go on to and name all the other sort of beasts that he knows and doesn't really have anything to describe them by. And Mary and Pippin, of course, tell him, well, we're hobbits and it's no surprise that you haven't really heard of us, but here's, here's a verse to add in to your, to your rhyme there. Yep. <laughs> uh, which I really liked. Because I feel like, I feel like hobbits and ints would be very friendly to each other in that way of, they seem very similar. Yeah, yeah. There's, if you think about it, there are certain similarities they they have. Yeah. Well, maybe not. You know, I mean, hobbits are very small, <laughs> ants are very big, but like their kind of nature towards existence seems very similar. Yeah, and especially the way the ants are kind of now, they're very yeah. sort of isolated, right? So, I also really liked this detail where so tree treebeard, as I said, his his motto, "Don't be hasty," right? And immediately kind of notes that the hobbits are very hasty creatures <laughs> and that they're just willing to give out their real names, which seems odd to him because that reveals a lot to, about, to, to people and thinks that they're kind of too free with information, which is um, interesting, I think. Well, and they go through <laughs> and they tell him their whole story at right. some point. Yeah. But they do leave out the ring, so I mean... They're not being fully out there with their <laughs> right, but he did. Yeah, he does. Uh, kind of ask them for news of the outside world, right? And he he's very kind to them and and offers to take them to his house or one of his houses, and um, will you know give them drink and and food and shelter, and he asks them for news, and 
Uh, I also really liked so that, you know, they get to talking and the hobbits ask. So, you know, we were warned by Celeborn not to come into Fangorn <laughs> Forest. Uh, yeah. uh, what's up with that? Um, and his response is, again, rather intriguing. And he says, you know, well, that's funny because I would say that Lothlorien is is rather perilous and dangerous. Although I suppose this is a really weird place, right? Um, and he's su kind of surprised that they made it into the forest in the first place. That was... And then out. Yeah, that's the thing that... that... It, it, it was just a nice touch of like that Tolkien adds in. It's like having one group of people go, oh, be worried. About, like, don't go into that forest. And like mm -hmm. the people of that forest going like, oh, yeah, don't go into that other forest. It's like, but we just came from that forest. That's weird. Yeah. You know, not just not knowing of each other's like, I mean, because both are inhabited by super old beings who are very set in their ways. And I can't help but Tolkien is kind of making a poke at that in a right. way. You know, yeah. Mm. And we've seen before, too, where, you know, certain populations kind of living in isolation and don't really know what's going on in the rest of the world. So that's constantly we're kind of having this, you know, coming together of different peoples in the world and coming to an interesting sort of understanding with each other. Yes. So we learn more about Ents and uh, basically learn that Treebeard is one of the oldest living things on Middle Earth. Right. And we learn the history of the Ents. And that uh, they were kind of awakened awakened by the elves because remember the elves were were interested in them and wanted to know more. So they basically taught 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 these trees to speak, right? And sort of awakened the ants. Um, it's interesting, like levels of Middle Earth being shown right there as well that we were trying to dig into in the Silmarillion, but. Ents were always kind of like on the outside a little bit. We never really found out a whole lot about them because they're described at the beginning of Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. like in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring, and about like them pushing up to the outskirts of the Shire and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. And now hearing about like how they came about is very, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And we also kind of learn that the Ents seem to be sort of dwindling and that, and Treebeard even says that Ents sort of, some, a lot of them are becoming more tree-ish and kind of falling back into a sleep and maybe need, need to really be roused by something to become animated again, right? Um, but he also makes this interesting note that you know, not he says he says something about like not all ants being good and some of them having kind of a bad heart, right? Or and, and or not all trees being good. Yeah. Which, you know, not not necessarily like evil, but just that some of them have a bad heart, he calls it. And that immediately made me think old man Willow, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, they he, he gives them some ant draft. Which makes them feel very surprisingly revitalized. And I was actually very... I was just thinking about it, like, what this stuff would probably be like. For some reason, my brain went to, like, oatmeal. But, like, finely <laughs> ground oatmeal that was extra watery. I've been watching a lot of videos, like, MREs being torn apart. Be so it's, like, <laughs> porridge or something coming from one of those. Well, this particular... I think there's another end draft that they drink later that I would think is more. That. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's describes more earthy and yeah. is towards that. But this one in particular is, like, the more kind of clean, refreshing one. But funny story, um, years ago, we had uh, at one of the um, Episcopal churches in this area mm -hmm. had um, a Tolkien kind of series... Uh, book book reading and then brought in some lectures and actually my mom worked on that a lot to to bring some of these speakers in and so um when when they came we had kind of f nice little receptions and we had made some food to go along and oh, there was man. sort of a a bread that was supposed to be oh, lambas and then a punch kind of thing that was sort of you know inspired off of ant draft and i for the life of me can't remember exactly what it was but it was very refreshing and i I, I don't know how to put my finger on what I think that Entraft tastes like. But, I don't know, just very bright and refreshing. Maybe herby? Maybe, like, yeah. like the taste of, like, sage or mint or something a in little, there? A little uh, herby, maybe. Yeah. Also, what's interesting is that 
they glowed, right? Or something slightly glowed when they were in the house that I kind of was grafting to, and I was thinking, wait, trees glowing? Well, a weird Silmarillion vibe right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, not necessarily glowing. There was talk, talk of the kind of lights that were in his house, though. Um, but after the end draft, though, there's an effect, right, that's that's given from it, and they... And, it just kind of they feel the effect of it go from their toes all the way up to their hair like they feel the top of the hair on the top of their <laughs> heads like almost standing up right um and this is of course in huge contrast to the crud that they had been fed by the orcs yes. right previously they were able to eat some of the lambus bread they also had still had with them yeah just uh, like crumbs left over <laughs> i'm almost reminded of for some reason that the only thing i can think of that evoke would evoke that feeling in me is like super hardcore horseradish mm -hmm. but that's i feel like very different that's like going from your sinuses to your hair and down to your feet but but the the effect is similar though yeah. how it uh, travels through your whole body right but it's probably not the same because i've had horseradish that literally like took me off my feet singes your nose yeah ears. like yeah. I, I i i doubled over and it <laughs> hurt but it was great i don't think that end could hurt uh but yeah and they they basically tell him their entire story since leaving leaving hobbiton minus of course the ring yeah and treebeard seems very invested in all of this I almost imagine like a little kid listening to this story. And the the thing is, it's interesting is he starts talking about like wizards and the interaction with wizards because they also do tell him about Gandalf and that this dude knows Gandalf. Yep. Because everybody knows Gandalf at this point. Like right. I'm just I'm just coming to the terms that everybody knows of Gandalf. <laughs> and they tell him that they lost Gandalf, but also he was betrayed by Saruman, mm -hmm. which I feel like is the part of the story that Treebeard is more like grabbing onto because Saruman. He used the, to be a friend, yeah, right? The treachery of Saruman is starting to like bleed into the forest more so. Right. So they, uh, yeah, he he is interested, especially in the in the the wizards, and particularly in Saruman. He's interested. I'm sorry. <laughs> interested. Oh God! Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh it's God! Just hit me. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the title of this episode. Oh, concerning interesting people. <laughs> that okay? <laughs> I didn't even mean oh. to do that. I honestly didn't. I felt that from my toes to my hair. <laughs> oh, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of course, Treebeard is upset by by this this news, and of course, upset by the news that Gandalf has fallen, and notes that of course they don't like orcs. Who does? Um, unless they're bad people, mm -hmm. and immediately thinks that something must be done about Saruman. Yes, and that very quickly comes to the the to that decision too, and mm -hmm. that he needs to not only do something but also call upon the remaining uh, I guess in, in, inhabitants of Fangorn Forest to do mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. so it almost becomes like a, a rallying cry yeah but of course and it's it's you know Treebeard kind of immediately decides he's, he, he needs to move to action and then immediately after that says no wait uh, let's not be hasty. <laughs> yeah, Again, that's true. Right? <laughs> I almost feel like he, like, he always, it's like, he's like a guy who has to constantly, it, not only is it his motto, it's something he always has to constantly remind himself of in that he he will definitely move too fast and then like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything yeah. be cool. We have to think about this, We've, we've right? been here for 10,000 years. Let's We're going to be cool. <laughs> let's be rational. Um, but basically, yeah, so, you know, Saruman, as as we've come to know, has been breeding and mutating orcs uh, to be unafraid of the sunlight and also to serve him. And they've also been cutting down trees for no good reason, kind of, or either yeah. that or burning them. So um, bad offenses, something needs to be done. So 
Treebeard then calls the Ents. Um, and he also, at, at this point, mentions the Entwives, right? And we get that kind of little bit of history about the Entwives and how they've been lost and all that. Um, uh, but but he says, you know, we'll, we will we'll, we'll worry about this later. Let's let's sleep on it for the for the night. And also, the, 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 this kind of like brings up a thought to me, and I might probably save this for later because I kept thinking about it, and it's something I have been thinking about is like beings that are so super old. And it, I mean, there's also this element of feeling that this grouping you're interacting with are the last mm-hmm. in a way. They may not know it yet, but they're the last. And even and there's a few younger ones mentioned, but I've always been interested in the concept of ancient beings and the nature of generations within that. Mm-hmm. Because if you're able to live so old, what is the concept of a generation? What is the concept of time in general? Yeah, because it's different. Yeah. And like clearly it must be. It is like everything to Treebeard seem like it's moving at super speed in a way. Mm-hmm. And everything in like he's he's fine, but everything else is moving at super speed because his perception of time mm-hmm. is so radically different compared to and I and the funny thing is like I had this thought with Ints, but not necessarily with elves for some reason. Well, elves are a little. I feel. I. I think we often feel that elves are a little closer to men. Yeah. Um. E- even though they're ancient. Um. But. But it's true though that elves have a kind of a different perception of time. Again, uh, having lived through so much of it, and we've seen this with their uh, relationship to memory, right, mm-hmm. and all that. But uh, Ents, though, we're even told kind of, you know, Treebeard. When he is carrying them, you know, he says, I, you know, I don't know how far we've gone and how you would measure time, but I can say and how many Ent strides I've taken, right? So, yeah, everything is kind of measured to him the way that Ents would view it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think they are kind of more singular and uh, different in the way that they experience the world around them. Well, and also they're more locked away. Yeah. Whereas elves are promoting and... Well, at a time we're promoting active change versus now, which is they're kind of like they're pulling back away from Middle Earth. And then, yeah, it's just something I've, I've been like thinking about because it's a very hard thing to rack your brain around when you're when you yourself are a being that only lasts for like maybe 80 years. Yeah, when you yourself yeah. are so tiny and insignificant, right? Like in, interacting <laughs> with trees that are like thousands of years old or hell, tortoises that are like 200 years old or something like that. Right. Or yeah. the, did you see that thing about the salamander that was like 250 years old? Yeah. That was nuts. I love hearing about stuff like that. It's cool. Um, but yeah, the next day, Treebeard kind of summons the Ents to an Ent moot, which is a, a great, great word. Yeah, which is just simply a gathering of Ents. And so about two dozen Ents are there and more are coming and they kind of remark on how unique they all are and all, each of them sort of resembling different trees. But the one thing that they all, they all seem to have in common, again, is the eyes, which is just the, the coolest feature of the Ents, I think. Um, they stand around for a while yeah. talking the, uh, the, the just, Ent speech. Just which, chanting. Which I can't imagine. Like, I imagine that is really cool. Like, yeah. But I feel like for the Hobbits, like, man, this is awesome. Five hours later, oh, God, like, this is going on forever. All we've done is introductions. We've done introductions, and we're starting now to talk about what to do with Isgard, maybe. And all all we've done is uh, agree that you're not orcs, too, (laughs) which is great. Um, Yeah, so they, they, they also are... Introduced to Bregalad, who is another of the Ents, uh, also called Quickbeam. And I really like the origin of his name, Quickbeam, so named because uh, he is a quote-unquote hasty Ent. And Treebeard <laughs> says that, they, that the Hobbits and Quickbeam should get on well for that. And I love that he stares at them for quite a while. And it's, it's something like the Hobbits hadn't noticed any bit of hastiness in him yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hasty compared to other ends. Right. But he's so named because he once replied yes to an elder ent before the question was finished. <laughs> Which I imagine is super so easy great. because I imagine like, okay, we get the idea, but you're still talking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that thing where someone starts asking you a question. You're like, yeah, I understand the question already. You don't need to finish the question. I got your answer. No, no, I got to go through full <laughs> levels of chicanery to get exactly what I'm getting across. And that's our friend Quickbeam. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, Quip, and, Quip Beam brings them to his house, and um, we kind of learn a little bit more even about the Ents, and Quick Beam explains that the orcs have been cruel to them, and cutting down their trees and burning them and all that. And so after a couple days with Quick Beam, they... On, on like the third day that morning they hear this huge roar go up and then this kind of strange quiet so something of course has happened and basically the Entmoot finally has stirred to action and they all come marching basically and you know we, we've had some uh examples of the way that Treebeard sort of kind of mumbles along in Entish and it's a very cool like rumbling sort of noise yes and we get another example of that with this chanting that they're doing they say we come we come with roll of drum to run to run to run to run which I really like and so there's Treebeard with you know f 50 other Ents and they're marching on Isengard I actually wanted to find their song because it yeah, their their song was the the second song of this entire book that really struck me. The one about the ant wives? No, uh, to Isengard through Isengard oh, be one. ringed and barred with doors of stone. Like that one for some reason really struck me, and it's and it... the the kind of rhythm of it is very much so such like a kind of war song too like and sort of rumbling and rolling and it exactly sounds to me like how i imagine the movement of the ends to be like there's like this one part right here we go we go we go to war to hew the stone and break the door like mm -hmm. I, I i can't help but when the few songs I actually could read it in probably the way it would be sung which is kind of hard for me for all the other songs but except for at the beginning of this of the two towers when um they were singing when boromir yeah was what when they were having the funeral kind of like thing for for boromir that song also struck me in a way that was similar to this so maybe tolkien was more up on his songs in the second part than he was <laughs> in the fellowship of the ring well it's uh but it's true that it's a different kind of sound um you know all of the songs and that's something that is again so masterful the songs all sound unique to their context. I mean, as they should. This part in particular: "To land of gloom, with tramp of doom, with roll of drum, we come, we come. To our Isengard, with doom, we come." Like I can't help but going down to my natural bassy nature uh -huh. when I'm when I'm reading that song because of the ooh sounds. Right, it. and I think that's. Uh, appropriate too. I think that's what the ends would sound more like, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah, and I, I, Treebeard also remarks at this time, which you were talking about, of um, you know thinking you know we may be the last, which we've learned from uh, having heard about the ent wives being lost, right? And so now there are no young entings uh, growing up, um, and they're kind of dwindling. Um, and Treebeard remarks that they may be marching to their doom right um so that this may be the last thing we do but they're but, cool with it in a way well, like that's what i noticed about it rather than kind of stay in our isolation and wait for doom to come to us which would be inevitable we can go now and do something worthy of being remembered right so if you're going to go out go out blazing <laughs> um so yeah the, uh, they are marching on isengard and they kind of uh the, the hobbits have this great perch on uh, Treebeard's shoulders, and they see the tower in the distance. It's it's a great end of the chapter because it's just they see they come to the Valley of Isgard and right or the Valley of like Saruman something it's it's re it's referenced something like that yeah they and see they see the valley the chapter yeah. ends and I did the thing which I have been doing more so with this book which I just started reading the next chapter and right? it mentioned Gimli and I was like oh crud <laughs> <laughs> I got really into that but this is like things are about to happen yeah. we're 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 you know things are things are going on it's very different than. The Fellowship of the Ring, and then I imagine that we're going to go back in time again. Now we're going to see that time that took place while they were doing the talking with the Ents, mm -hmm. back to Gimli and Aragorn and all of them. Well, and again, that's sort of the narrative structure of the Two Towers, since it, it has to change to make to be able to focus on these, you know, stories that are kind of that are simultaneously going on, but with we have you know different factions now that we've broken into. So yeah, it's you get this kind of disjointed 
uh, piece piecing together of the story. I almost feel like that the first half of this book is going to be. Don't answer this, okay. but I, well, I never I, do. I, I'm thinking that the first half of this this section, the book book three, mm-hmm. I guess, of the Lord of the Rings, is going to be this sort of stuff. We're going to get, you know, the int stuff, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas in Rohan. We're gonna get that stuff, and then it's gonna like go off, and then it's gonna be Frodo. And I do know that one particular thing, because I'm going to reference the movie slightly. Mm-hmm. I do know that one thing from Return of the King was actually in the Two Towers. And that they, they potentially made that decision. So I know that that's, that's going to come up at some way at some point. But other than that, uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting at. But the point is, is like, I don't quite know where things are exactly. I don't know how this book's going to be broken up. <laughs> well, that's interesting. And you will. You, you'll see. Um, but I want to talk uh, just a little bit about s- just some points from this chapter for me that uh, I think are worthy of note. So h- having met the ends now, we've added kind of we've broadened the scope again and added sort of another level to to the whole intrigue. Now um, we have ends added into this fray right against uh, the enemy. And you can kind of think of this as the natural world now more so becoming yeah. involved, right? Because Saruman has attacked nature and now nature's going to fight back. Um, and we also have this interesting thing to note where before we've had forces of nature that have not necessarily been nice, right? We had the passive Caradhras, we had yes, old man yeah. Willow, right? So, you know, n- not, you know, nature n- nature is often this benevolent um, uh, force, which we have especially now with the Ents, but a, a little bit before we've seen it be- being kind of a, a mischief maker or trouble, right? So, we, we're seeing more of kind of the, the force and power of nature coming into this. And this is, of course, important to note because, uh, you know, Tolkien's writing all this stuff kind of surrounding the Industrial Revolution, right? And uh, um, the uh, atrocity that Sauron does to and, and the orcs to the trees and, and also sort of like mutil- uh, mutating the orcs to his um, purpose is like an affront against nature, right? Which is kind of like, you know, factories spewing smoke in the air being an affront to nature, right? And even like there's even a part in there that ties into that as well. And at another degree is when Treebeard talks about what trolls are and Mm -hmm. where trolls came from, which is if the elves, basically trolls are to ints as uh, the orcs are to elves. Is that correct? Kind of, yeah. To, oh, to, oh, to right. a level. Where, where he was talking about how, uh, yeah, Merry and Pippin were wondering if they could do any damage to Isengard and right, and, and Treebeard was like, oh yeah, we're pretty strong. Uh, where we can we can rip apart stone if we want to. We're we're stronger than the yeah. trolls are. Yeah. There, there was there was something about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then another little interesting note that I want to make is you you may, uh think i mean this is really specific but you may note a bit of a connection to macbeth here and that is that one of the prophecies surrounding um macbeth's demise right is that um a forest will march onto the castle right yeah so this is sort of tolkien's nod to that kind of and but but it's also a mark of his disappointment in Macbeth, because when he saw um, Macbeth, he was disappointed that the um, the the trees marching on the castle was just actors coming onto stage with like <laughs> leaves in their hats. <laughs> so Tolkien was like, "I'm gonna do this right," and yeah. hence we have the ends marching on Isengard. <laughs> I, that's great. That's amazing. And that's not the only instance of Tolkien being disappointed by something and and inspiring him to write something. So, Man, this year has been like me and Tolkien have been like, 
agreeing on stuff <laughs> on a level that is like, man, if I like talked with him, it'd be like, yeah, because I feel like the same way anytime I watch like anything that has time travel in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what are you so concerned with that? You know, <laughs> but that's that's like that's only something if you probably like knew me, but. I like I like him honing in these themes about like not necessarily like because I feel like Tolkien's this kind of person that is loves progress mm-hmm. and loves the the idea of people getting better and figuring out better things. However, in this chapter, it's kind of noting on progress is great. What's also great is responsibility. Yes, in in how you handle progression, and that is a that's a theme of. It's like if we were to talk about like books and media and movies and things of that nature being like the dreams of society at any given point in time. You're talking about a person writing in the early 20th century noting a theme of the 20th century, which is this fight between progress and responsibility that will kind of it's a very big scale way of saying it, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like the thing that lessons learned of the 20th century that we're still trying to learn today and this is why this story is still timeless because we are still having to deal with this where progress responsibility kind of butt heads yeah he was a brilliant man yeah <laughs> totally um well all right uh favorite parts from the text today i like that song that song was my favorite bit. When they're going to war, I like that song the most. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, it's really hard because I think the, I think the ints have been among my favorite things so far that we have read. They're fascinating. Like like over the whole year, because the 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 ints are just very interesting beings because they're very. I feel like Tolkien is doing like his extra extra Tolkien work on them. Like mm-hmm. it's like it's like the kind of like. We've done all this stuff with elves and dwarves and whatever, but now it feels like with the ants, it's like the like end point. Like he's like honed his skill <laughs> to this degree that he's crafted such great beings. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite is a remark that Treebeard makes as uh, when he's talking about Saruman, and he says, "Wizards ought to know better. <laughs> they do know better," which is so true. Because again, remember, we know why the wizards were 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 sent to to Middle Earth, right? Yeah. They're they're sort of um, lesser Maya. Um, they are supposed to kind of guide and help the free peoples of of, of Middle Earth. And Saruman, you have failed so much yes <laughs> you you have you have become this horrible thing and uh our you know treebeard even remarks you know he he thinks he wants to become a power and he's um he's not doing what he's supposed to do and he should know better mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I i really like that line well what was the thing that i oh, this is so long ago since we talked about this the breakdown of the wizards where i was noting that uh Oh, it's so I'd have to actually go back to the episode and listen to it again. But I made this statement about how like, uh, what's the what's the wizard who lives out in the forest with the animals? Radagast. Radagast mm-hmm. was like the person of the animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gandalf was the per was the wizard of the people, mm-hmm. and then Saruman was like the wizard of something. Um, like like knowledge or something along those lines. Like, yeah, he might be like one of the smartest of them all, but he doesn't. He came off like a weird, <laughs> a weird like. Well, and Saruman was given. Yeah. Saruman was, uh, you know, kind of the head of the White Council too, and you know, um, was supposed to be, yeah, giving wisdom and providing help, and he stopped doing that. <laughs> See, lost perspective, <laughs> but yeah, lost perspective. Yeah, not cool. Um, well, all right. Are there any other sort of favorite things or recommendations from the week? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a weird, it's, it's a weird one, but I have been reading a, um, uh, a book that John has previously talked about on this podcast before as something that he had, uh, gotten and, I now have been given to it as a gift, and it's amazing. It's called The Food Lab. And at the moment, oh, I yeah. cannot properly remember the author's name, and I feel horrible about that. 
but it's kind of it's the science of cooking mm-hmm. and he and john i talked about previously before so i won't go into full detail on it but it's like a scientist became a chef and then through the scientific method figured out why you should do certain things mm-hmm. and what's great about the book is for me i've been like cooking is like my I love cooking and I, and I cook as much as I possibly can. So I feel like the book is not teaching me anything like big that's new, but it's like little things along the way. Like I'll be reading the book and all of a sudden, like I'll just realize, Oh man, you should totally be holding your knife like this when you're cutting this thing or Mm -hmm, you should mm -hmm. be doing like, it's like giving me the little bits in between. It's like filling out my knowledge base and it's been a really good book, but it's like called the food lab. It's a giant monolithic book that's like thousands of pages long but it's incredible and it's really funny too like it's yeah. got a great sense of humor yeah yeah i've i've uh, seen a couple of excerpts and pages from that and it is fascinating I, I don't know about the i actually made a recipe from that book that you tried mm-hmm. we, a couple of weeks ago we uh we we watched some movies and i made a polish kielbasa and potato soup yeah, yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. from that book however even i making it was doing that thing of like you know, I'd do it differently. I think I could, I think I could make this a <laughs> little different, a little, little better. Differently. I think the idea of cooking the sausage and the bacon, sausage and the bacon together was not a good idea. I'd mm-hmm. rather brown the bacon first and then cook the sausage in there. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me, so this week, um, uh, U.S. Figure Skating Nationals has been taking place this week, and uh, I, it's always like one of my favorite times of the year because nationals is always dramatic. Things always happen. And um, I like lose a lot of sleep over it, <laughs> yep. and <laughs> and try to watch everything, and like f- freak out and fangirl so hard over all of my favorites. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. I I I love it. Like I said, the drama. There, things always go down. <laughs> I, I was actually talking with some people because this year we're getting the Summer Olympics. Yeah. And we were kind of like doing a competition. We were kind of like deciding what our favorite sport was. And I said like, well, when it comes down to it, like we ha- we all agreed that the most intensive, the most interesting, the most compelling sport to watch in all the Olympics was definitely figure skating. Yep. Of Ice skating of any kind, really. And it sounds like that on a yearly level, like to this degree, sounds borderline apocalyptic in a way. Yeah. The, I, figure skating is so great because it's, I mean... Like I I I've been a huge fan of figure skating for years, and, and being a skater myself too is like I I, I like I said I get so invested and in, I like it's it's like a whole other fandom that you get into you know that mm-hmm. you get obsessed with, but uh you know it's it's one of the most fascinating sports because it's insanely difficult and things are like the boundary of the athleticism of the sport is constantly being pushed, but it's also has that kind of subjective artistic element too so it's there's always some kind of drama involved it's great and especially this year like things are happening in pushing again the boundaries of the sport so it's like if you're not watching figure skating right now honestly you're missing out on history because yeah like the scores that are being posted and the the jumps that people are doing but and but but also the quality of the jumps that people are doing and the quality of the rest of the skating that they're doing is like insane right now. And it's not even an Olympic year. So I like, I don't even know in 2018, it's going to be insane. It's going to be great. Where are you watching that? Um, well, I have a, a pass to ice network. They broadcast a lot of content. Um, but you can also, uh, sometimes stuff is broadcast on NBC sports. I think sometimes also on universal sports, but I don't get universal. So, but I just watch it online mostly. Okay. Um, and then like have tweet storms with all of my fellow crazy fans (laughs) and we're just like back and forth screaming, like freaking out about things that happen. It's great. Uh, what else? Oh yeah. Um. Well, I guess that's it for that's this. It. That's it. That's it for this it. week. Yeah, we're gonna be reading uh, chapter five next week, which is the White Rider. Yes. Uh, Weird. and that's gonna be taking place next week. Uh, other all other information is gonna be in the end tag for this episode. Right. Um, and once again, I would like to give a thank you to our Patreon supporters, uh, Benjamin John Macy, Mike Williams, Avid McMaster, Micah, Jacob Verma, and Michael Smith. Thank you so much for 
contributing, keeping, helping us stay afloat. It really helps a lot, and we really appreciate every little bit. Also, to every listener on the East Coast. Yeah. Be careful. Stay warm out there. I literally think everybody in my Twitter, every person I follow, like big people, like the people I follow on Twitter, is just like blanketed with blizzard pictures. Mm -hmm. Just like the most horrible stuff. And I'm like looking outside the sun's out. It was actually kind of warm yesterday. Right. (laughs) If if you want to send us any of your snow, I'll take it. Yeah, we'll totally take some. We'll take some pressure upon us because I actually bought a ton of groceries thinking we were going to get some snow. Right, I haven't gotten any snow this winter, and I want some. You know, we're going to be saying other. You know, in Arkansas, we don't necessarily get snow. Sometimes we just get straight up thick sheets of ice. Yeah, and that's way worse because if you fall in the snow, it's like oh whatever, I fell in the snow. You fall in the ice, you just die. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, stay warm out there. Uh, we hope that you can cross the pass of Caratras and not have to go under the mountain because we all know that doesn't end well. It's, it's suddenly winter. <laughs> and we will be back next week. I'm Katie. I'm Chase. Or I feel like <laughs> if I were to say my it name, it would be like my entire life story just set as I go <laughs> and never stop ending. It just keeps going for <laughs> continuing and continue. In some really cool, intriguing language. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you're an iTunes subscriber and you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help us grow our podcast and help with expenses such as microphones and server space. Every little bit is appreciated.